Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting uh, episode of uh, SFP Now. Um, today we're going to have um, our review of the uh, last two episodes of uh, Doctor Who, uh, which encompass uh, Dark Water and and Death what? in Heaven, Death in heaven. <laughs> um, which, which was aired over the last couple of weeks. And then after that, we have a, an interview with a web series creator, Ben en- Benjamin Enke, or Ben Enke, um, who did a who, who's done a, done a new he's got a new web series out. It's actually his first web series. It's called Superhuman. It's kind of um, it's kind of like a different, um, if you will, more character driven twist on 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 superheroes. Um, and in the interview, he actually reveals that he was kind of inspired by things such as Heroes and Lost. Um, but before we get to that, um, we've got Raisa with me, as always, uh, for the uh, Doctor Who reviews. Um, so how are you doing, Raisa? I'm doing fine, thanks. Okay, well, I'm, I'm good. Um, should we start off with, with um, Dark Water? Yeah, I kind of think we're going to end up discussing them together because they're sort of of a piece. But yes, let's start off with Dark Water. Okay, let's just do it with Dark Water and they drank the wa- Dark Water and there was a death in heaven. Yes. Okay, that, that, that kind of encompasses the two. So we've now got permission to go go to the two. Uh, so um, I was so like, I was kind of like lukewarm on it. Um, but I'll let you start anyway because I think... You and I are probably on the same page here. Yes, here's the problem. Um, it would have actually been easier to take if the finale had sucked outright, because then we could just say it sucked outright and go away and come back for Christmas. Uh, the very problem is that there was enough of it that worked that it highlighted the stuff that did. Mm. And and uh, the the performances rocked. Uh, the themes were quite good. Um, where it fell apart was story and story structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I've I got to tell you, I mean, so like, um, she's come under a lot of criticism over the last couple of years is Jenna Louise Coleman right? there's a party of people that don't particularly like her as a companion and I think there are sort of like Rory and Amy fans um, here, here's the problem that I have and this is both subjective and objective um, I would have liked Jenna Coleman a lot better if they hadn't gone for straight up addiction allegory because if, if they just go for straight up addiction allegory where she's lying to cover up the fact that she can't quite deal with the fact that she's addicted to being with the doctor and it derails her relationship with Danny. Um, It doesn't take the impossible girl stuff into account. And the problem I have with that is if you establish with Rose that she swallows the time vortex for like a couple of minutes and that, and that's enough damage to necessitate the doctor regenerating to save her and then rejiggering her brain. So she doesn't implode. 
And then you have Donna, who goes through the metacrisis, and again needs her brain rejiggered so she doesn't explode. To then have uh, to then have Clara go through a thing where she goes through the time, go through his time stream, split into a gazillion versions of herself through you know across centuries, and then she doesn't suffer consequences from that. When Donna and Rose suffered consequences from what happened to them, and the Doctor did too, in order to save them. Um, basically, Moffat is flying in the face of established new who internal logic mm-hmm. to just go, just to just go with straight up allegory that that isn't even well realized anyway because he rushed. Yeah, there is that, but you know, my my my, my referral was to the um, I think these people that got problems with the actress Jenna Louise Coleman. That too, her style is born of soaps mm. she's, she's, a, she's a soap actress and you either take to that or you don't yeah well, well she, you know to be fair to be fair to her she she has been sort of like raised in soaps um you know she was in she was in emmerdale from from the age of 12 mm-hmm. um but i've got to be honest uh, i think this season she's done an outstanding job yes yeah, she has and um as far as it goes um the character scene that justified the arc, whatever I think of the overall story, is the scene where Clara has basically a, a psychotic break in the TARDIS and has to basically be hypnotized into grieving because she's she's gone into into shock and mm-hmm. she's blackmailing the doctor and completely imploding. Um, that scene to me was the character justification for the entire two episode thing. Um, the problem was that the the follow up Death in Heaven did not. Um, did not live up to the setup that was Dark Water. Mm-hmm. And and thing thing was to me the setup in Dark Water was a brilliant opportunity for him to for Moffat to have actually explored a little bit more of the um, Impossible Girl arc, and it, it was it was it seemed to be blown off. Yeah, and he's either blowing it off, in which case we've got continuity problems because there are things that can only be explained by by her impossible girling. Because if she isn't still impossible girling, how the hell did she get to Gallifrey in episode four? Listen, mm-hmm, true. I mean, it make, it makes no sense. It makes no sense unless she's still impossible girling. So he's either blowing off his entire arc, or for the sake of expediency. Or we're going to get resolutions in the Christmas special that involves Santa Claus. Yeah, and and, uh, and I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't. I don't even want another Christmas special. I'm in two minds whether to watch it or not because I, I'm I'm just sick to death of Doctor Who doing Christmas. Yeah. Just give us just give us a feature length Doctor Who episode on Christmas Day, which is well written, which involves some sort of alien invasion or other, and and just remove Christmas from the equation entirely. Yeah. You know, because it's um, cause it seems to be every single Christmas special they've done, they've had Christmas somewhere in it, and it's so like it, it, there's only so many so so many times they can actually do it and get away with it, and I think I I think they can like um, I think I think they jumped the shark ages ago on that. There, there's one story that I do want to see at Christmas, and that's um, the Doctor Who take on the Nutcracker, and that's only because Twelve is Drossel Meyer, who's a character from the Nutcracker by the numbers, and so I think they can justify the Nutcracker. But apart from that, there's nothing left. Yeah, they they jumped the they jumped the shark on it. I think I think to be honest, the last good one they did was the um, was a Matt Smith one, the uh, first Matt Smith Christmas special. Yes, that one was good. You know that that, that was the uh, that was the last really good one they did, and I felt the Nine Witch and Wardrobe one was really really boring and kind of weak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the the one after that, which was last year's, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and another thing you actually mentioned it in the post, they should never do a regeneration episode at Christmas. No, in fact, the thing I the thing I 
thing I didn't like about David Tennant's Christmas Invasion was that his his regeneration stuff messed up the pacing of that episode because they had they had they had the titular character asleep for three quarters of it because he's regenerating mm -hmm. in a Christmas episode, and I'm like this just it's, it structurally doesn't work. They, they they made it work barely, but it was it wasn't as functional as people thought it was. Mm -hmm. And also the you know the tenant the tenant regeneration episode, which was um, over three episodes. Um, or was it over two? It was over two, wasn't it? Um, Eccleston regenerated into tenants in the in, in the last one. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking about tenants regeneration into um into Smith. Smith. Yeah, that one was dragged out. That that was a whole arc basically that was like three stories long. Yeah, there's some beautiful stuff in it though. I mean, I love the relationship between the Doctor and Wilf. Oh God, and, that and, was brilliant. And yeah. how they played that out, but. Um, like you say, like you say, it was kind of dragged out um, a little bit too much. Um, but and you know, it's kind of like um, where the opposite is true is true with how how Smith regenerated into powder. Yep, that that was it. You know, this saw like um, incredibly mediocre story on Christmas Day. Pop, there's a new guy. Um, but it's it's kind of like um, the medi mediocrity is kind of for me. It's kind of carried on into this season. Um, there's been some great moments. I thought I thought the uh, Robin Hood one was really good. Oh yes, yes. Um, and the standalone stuff. If you just ignore everything that's arc related and just look at the standalone elements, the majority of those episodes, with the exception of maybe in the Forest of the Night, just because it's a little too twee, um, the standalone stuff was excellent this whole season. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, although I kind of just subjectively object to the fact that that Moffat made twelve forget the girl in the fireplace episode just to acknowledge that he's a different guy now. But apart from that, um, it's it's good stuff. Where it fell apart was the arcs. Yep, it, it it did fall apart in the arc. I mean, they they you know they they've still got this impossible girl thing going on. It's never been resolved, and you know they 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 had a they had numerous opportunities in this season to resolve it. And in um, fact, I, I based an entire fan theory on the on the supposition that he was using the season to resolve it, mm -hmm. and I was wrong because I structurally miscalculated. Yeah, I, I'm still pissed off that uh, Missy turned out to be the master, which was what all the fans were going on about, and and they're all they're, they're all predicting it was going to be the master. Everyone was predicting it was going to be the master. And it was the same sort of like sense of disappointment I felt when when Khan turned out to be Khan in in Star Trek. Yes. You know, yes. it was just so like it just really, really ticked me off because you know you had a you had a brilliant opportunity to bring back the Rani or 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 even a screwed up version of Romana or or any number of um of of other time time ladies that the Doctor has met in, in, yes. in the classic or, series. Or, or even to Original one and, and put a stamp on the series by creating an original one. Exactly. Cool exactly. I mean, so like, just just bringing back bringing back Missy and and having her reveal herself to her being a master and stuff like that. It was just pure pandering to the fans. I want want to see see a time lord change sets, and that that's all it was. It was it was it was completely throwaway and unnecessary. Here's the thing, though. Going back to my subjective thing with the, with the with the impossible girl arc, there was a way to structurally and thematically justify. Follow me here. Missy is the master, and it turns out that she used block transfer computation to create Clara in the first place. So the doctor wasn't trying to correct damage to a, a splintered uh, impossible girl, which was why he couldn't correct it. He was actually fussing around with a splintered girl created by mathematics who was becoming whole. Hmm. 
that's that's kind of like an interesting theory, and it's probably still there's probably still time for them to sort of like play around with something like that. Yeah, because the thing the, the the valid thing about the master is the master was featured in in stories that involved block transfer computation, Legopolis and uh, Castrovalva. Mm-hmm. And so they could have used it for that. And and the thing is, if she's if she's uh, she started out as a construct to get to the doctor, she could uh, then be you could then justify her you know not having much of a personality in season seven, and then suddenly having a personality in season eight, and 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 Moffat being able to use the fact that he didn't develop her sufficiently in the beginning, and she be, and she becomes a whole flawed lying person with problems. Because she's becoming a person, and then the the creature that's created through advanced mathematics falls for the ex-soldier maths teacher. Mm-hmm. There's also, um, you know, when you think about it, um, the master died, or supposedly died, when he was uh, kicking Rassingon's butt all the way back to Gagafrey. Yes. You know, and um, and and he, he he stepped through that, so we never really knew whether he lived or died. Apparently, he lived. Um, yes. And regenerated into a uh, Missy somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, what? So so basically, he could have used block trans. You know, he could have used the mathematical sort of like equations to create Clara um, to to actually sort of like send 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 a message to the Doctor, which the Doctor obviously got. Hey man, Gagafrey's still around. Yes. You know, and and this is where it where it is. But that's kind of that's kind of blown off at the end of the episode where you know Missy tells the doctor that gang phrase where it's always been, and the doctor goes there and it's not there. No, no. Um, the the one upside to that scene is Capaldi played that brilliantly. He just loses his grip. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that that was his that was his blow up moment like 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 Clara had in episode seven. And it's been a long time coming. It it, it has, but I, I really want them. I really want them to bring back Gangafrey now. Yes, yes. Um, but the thing is, if, if he's not doing the Impossible Girl arc, and he's just doing a straight up arc where Clara is flawed and having problems and 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 and, and having a personality with lumps in it to compensate for the fact that he didn't do that right the first time. Um, there's there's just a whole crap ton of stuff that just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That he just just was just shoving in there. Um, so he's either not like I said, he's either not going to resolve it or he's going to resolve it with Santa. And I just I neither option really works for me. I'm kind of hoping he doesn't resolve it with Santa, but got a feeling that uh, the the resolution is you know he's probably he'll probably start it with Santa and tight and and drag it over into next season. Yeah, which although, I think I'd prefer that than 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 having Santa resolve it. Yes, um, so so that means that she's not leaving at Christmas because she's either leaving at the end of the Christmas episode, like everybody says she's been for going to, or we're getting her for the remainder of Moffat's run, which structurally makes sense because if Moffat knows that he's leaving at the end of season nine, he would kind of want to do what Russell T Davies did and hold arcs over and end and then leave rather than spend end and then start something new and then leave. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes more sense structurally to hold things over, finish out his last year with whatever he's got left, and then go. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that the uh, the new series of Doctor Who um, has become too formulaic. It has. We've we've you know we get in we get we get a Dalek we get a couple of Dalek episodes every season. We get a couple of Cybermen episodes every season. And we've had the master pop up three times now. Yes. Um. Over the last last few seasons. So granted, they they rested the master for three years, which which is which was you know, I don't mind the use of the master of, of the master so much. Um. But the Daleks and Cybermen, it's 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 gotten ridiculous. It has. 
class. They need to they need to go away for a long while, like maybe at least three to five years. Mm, I, I because the thing is, I grew up in the Tom Baker era. I did too. And in in the Tom Baker era, they they only I think Tom Baker only had uh, two episodes where he battled the Daleks. And there was that, a, that sounds about right. There was at least four or five years between the two episodes. I think the mm-hmm. first one was Genesis of Daleks, and then the second one was um, um, I can't remember the name of the name of the story, but the second one involved uh, androids and Daleks fighting each other on yes, a planet. Yeah. And yeah. and um, he he got he kind of got between you know the Doctor kind kind of had to sort that out uh, with Romana and K nine. Yes. Um, but you know the thing thing was I think back then the um, you know they 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 had to get the uh, rights off of um, off of Terry Nation's estate in order to use them. Whereas now they don't have that problem. Um, I personally think Terry Nation's estate should actually take back control of the Daleks and actually stipulate that the BBC can only use them every two three years. So we don't get because it's it seems like it feels like we're being clubbed over the head every season with Daleks. Yeah, and there are only so many and there are only so many Dalek stories you can do and there's almost and even if it's justified, there's only so much of the doctor's time war angst you can mine. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of mining the time war angst. I'd like them to um move past that. Yeah. I I'd like them to do do past that as well. I mean I mean you know, the whole the whole Dalek thing as you know, it's it's been every season and and it's a bit like the Borg in Star Trek, although, oh, God, although yes. the Borg, Borg wasn't quite as bad no. as this has become. Um, but it's all like the more you use, the more you use a villain, the less frightening and less effective that villain's going to become over time. Although I got, I got to admit, the the Daleks' effectiveness as a villain um, has kind kind of died ages ago. It did. Yeah. You know, so but it's it's a case of you know you you bring you bring in something back too many times where you got you got loads and loads of other things you can actually go back to monsters you can go back to you can probably go back to the Yeti, although yes. that, that said the Yeti was controlled by the Great Intelligence sort of and they've kind of already done that. But yes, what was that the same Great Intelligence? That was the same Great Intelligence. It was supposed to be. Mm. So, 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 so they've kind of already done that. They, they could bring, they could bring back the meddling monk. Yes. You know, because I don't think he ever actually got killed off. Uh, they could bring back the Rani. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and to be honest, I don't think there's anything stopping them because you know what Big Finish do and what 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 the new series does are two completely different things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they they don't belong in they don't belong in the same. Well, they belong in the same universe. It's just that everything that's done by Big Finish. Um, has has is taking place prior to yeah you know yeah. what what we're seeing in 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 the uh, in in the new Doctor Who, mm-hmm. but I think what they should do is when when Moffat leaves they should hire a showrunner who isn't as much of a fan of Doctor Who because I think a lot of the trouble is we've had two showrunners back to back who are huge fanboys of the series and I think we need someone who's like more of a who, who's been much more of a casual fan yeah. Maybe who has, the, who has the capacity to become knowledgeable when necessary, but also deviate. Yeah, and 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 that way you have someone who will take a lot more chances and probably be less inclined to uh to use Cybermen and Daleks. Yeah, all the yeah. time. 
as much. Um, because, you know, let, let's face it, when Dot 2 started, the people that were working on it weren't fans. No, they, they, they were making it up as they went along. They didn't know what the heck was going on from, and, from week to week. And I think we need someone like that as as, as the next showrunner. Yeah. You know, some, someone who can make it up as they go along. Just so long as they don't hire someone who specialises in light entertainment like they did with John Nathan Turner. Oh, We don't yeah. want that. No, we saw that. Yeah. We, we we kind of saw that, and it was um it was probably oh, the probably the worst period of Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Um, but I I think I think they need to bring someone new in from the outside. I think there are an assortment of problems here. One is I think there's a difference between the BBC's mandate and Moffat's, mm-hmm. um, which Moffat will either resolve or not. I think there, I think part of it is that there's a tension between what they want and what he wants. And that's just, that's unavoidable. I also think part of what's going on here is that um, they were scared shitless of losing the Tennant and Smith fans. And so they tried to have their cake and eat it too with the new doctor. Mm -hmm. And so they either, so they kind of, they pulled some punches. Yeah, and, and they had and they had Clara be this giant proxy for the fan base throughout the entire season as she swung around on a, on a sort of bipolar pendulum reacting to the new doctor because they couldn't figure out how to structurally justify the new doctor otherwise. Mm, whereas, you know, with the previous two doctors, they just structurally justified him anyway. Yes. And they needed, and they needed to basically just be brave, yank the band-aid off, and go. Here's the new guy, lumps and all. Here's mm-hmm. the companion, lumps and all, and just get on with it. Which, um, which they were, they were, they were tripping over themselves, basically. Which is, which is basically what they did with, uh, they did that with Matt Smith and did it with David Tennant. Yeah. You know. Um, but just because the the actors older, they they kind of um, you know seem to bend over backwards to sort of like um, insult the intelligence of the younger fan base. Yeah, and, and they basically and the reason and part of the reason at the meta level why she was swinging around like a bipolar drug addict was because they needed her to to mirror what they pres- what they presumed was going on with the fan base mm-hmm. and it, and, it, and it wasn't necessarily and it either wasn't what was going on with the fan base or if it was those fans left anyway yeah, I think a big part of it is um, I think the BBC are more frightened of of, um, of of these sort of changes than the producers are to be honest because um, there was a story uh, earlier this year. Um, Moffat was interviewed and he said that um, the BBC were actually contemplating cancelling Doctor Who after Tennant mm. had left. And um, it was only because Russell T Davis, combined with himself, managed to actually talk them out of cancelling the series. And, you know, I, I still find that hard to believe, in a way, because... I've got a friend who uh, works for BBC News in Cardiff, and um, he he was actually hearing the complete opposite. So you know, but yeah. then again, you know, sort of like um, people do remain tight-lipped about these things, I suppose. Yeah, but, I just I hope that if see here's the thing I've been I've been tracking fan reaction to the, the finale and the season as a whole. And it's evenly split. It's literally evenly split. This has been a freakishly divisive season. And it's literally split down the middle. And as many people love it, as many people hate it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the BBC reads that in terms of PR, in terms of assessing praise, in terms of assessing blame, in terms of long-term decision-making. I would hate to be the BBC right now because very mixed signals, very mixed. Mm-hmm. And 
and I just hope that if it if it goes to the negative side, that whatever lands, frankly, with all due respect, lands more on Moffat than Capaldi, because this is not Capaldi's fault. He did his job. Yeah, I I, I fully agree with you here because uh, I think Peter Capaldi has been absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, um, unlike Tennant and, uh, and and Matt Smith, you kind of bought them as a doctor right away. Yes. They were sort of like they, they 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 you know as soon as they sort of like hatched, they were the doctor sort of thing, and you kind of bought into it right away. Whereas uh, Capaldi sort of like did it old style. He he did it more like say uh, Peter Davison did it after um, after 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 he changed from Tom Baker, as in you know. Um, he had to spend time getting used to be used to his new skin and 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 sort of like getting used to being a doctor sort of thing. Where where and 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 Capaldi Capaldi did the same thing, and it was absolutely brilliant and wonderful to watch. Yes, it yes. was just that it was just that it was given poor service poor service by 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 a set of mediocre stories. You know, some you know, which, as you say, stand alone, were absolutely brilliant, and um, and others which were not so brilliant. No, and the, the problem is, I mean, take Clara and Danny for instance. We're supposed to buy this relationship. We're supposed to buy that this relationship is is driving Clara's entire emotional arc. I didn't buy them as a couple. I didn't because we didn't see them together enough. No, and here's my other problem. They, they, have, they put the two teachers at Cole Hill School as a supposed homage to the original Cole Hill School teachers. But the, then they don't actually do anything with it, and they might as well have put them at a generic school. Mm-hmm. If they were going to have two teachers at Cole Hill again, Danny needed to be on the TARDIS. Yep. You know. the, other problem, the other problem I have is I have Danny had no right to get up in the doctor's face about anything that was going on precisely because he was not on the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. The only people who have any right to judge the doctor are the people who are there with him on the TARDIS, on the planets, in the situations. He judges them, they judge him, everybody's on the same page. Danny was judging him from a distance, and it's like, step off, guy, you don't know anything. You're not actually there. Your girlfriend's there. It's a different thing entirely. Yeah, but to say, you know, the thing thing is, uh, Danny's suffering from PTSD. That's true, too. You know, and um, if you're suffering from PTSD, you're not exactly always going to be... the most reasonable uh, person on the block. The, you know, the problem there is, if he's suffering from PTSD, they needed to actually do more with that. It was rushed. Mm-hmm. It was all rushed. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, but I think, I think the other problem is, is, you know, Doctor Who, when it started, it started off as a kid's show. Mm-hmm. And it's gradually become so like more family orientated, and I think that I think the problem has been this season is they've kind of tried to gear it more towards the adults. That's true, and they and they and, and you can kind of see the, the the tension between the BBC remit and and Moffat's remit in that, and they, they can't quite figure out what the tone is. And I think I think another problem is when you're trying to gear it more towards the adults, but but it's a show that's on the air for kids as well. Um, you can't really. I, I think there's only really so much you can do with 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 a with with a complex topic such as PTSD true, and, and stuff true. like that. You know, there's yeah. only so much that they, they they'd be able to show. So they 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 start with a, it's, it's it's like the entire season was a series of half finished tableaus. You could tell you could tell what the finished piece was going to be, but it wasn't finished yet. Mm-hmm. And and the problem is reading interviews with Moffat. I can't quite tell whether he knows it was unfinished. 
I sometimes I think he thought he was actually giving us the whole story when he wasn't. And sometimes I think he thought he knew he wasn't giving us the whole story, but only had so many resources and so much time. I, I can't quite read what was going on with him at the meta level there. I mean, it was, it's very confusing. It is, and, and another thing that's been noticeable, noticed by fans this season is the fact that we've already got 12 episodes as a, and, and the Christmas special as opposed to 13 episodes and a Christmas special. Which, the budget, the budget is obviously an issue, and you can kind of tell by, by how many Earth-based episodes we had. And even when we had a space-based episode, like Mummy on the Orient Express, we didn't have a whole lot of shots of space. We mm-hmm. were mostly on, on, a, on a self-contained train set on some stage somewhere. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I quite enjoyed that. You know, no, the, awesome. the fact that it was on the train. Um, I mean, you know, and, and I don't understand why the budget's at an issue now. I mean, so like uh, the UK is supposedly out of recession. <laughs> but yeah. But that, that said, I kind of do because uh, the the government uh, prohibited the BBC from putting a licence fee up mm. for, for a few years, which I'm glad of because... I personally think it's you know it's ridiculous that we're paying sort of like forty pound per quarter um, for for for, um, for for this. I think what what needs to happen is the BBC should maybe just go 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 completely over to a subscribership model. Yeah, yeah. You know now um, because it's so like it's because they've got so much competition. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously that would have an effect on Dot Two, but I don't think Dot Two would ever die. It's too, it's too successful. It's too no, popular. And, and even if, even if, even if the BBC changed, there's there's um there's BBC Worldwide and BBC America. It would just become a BBC America co-production. Is what would mm-hmm. happen? Um, I think I'd rather it be a BBC Worldwide co-production. Oh, they're okay. They're different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're two different entities. Um, B- BBC America is actually uh, run by you guys. Okay. Whereas okay. BBC Worldwide, it's it's actually much more global. Mm. Um, okay. So I think I think I go for a BBC Worldwide co-production because the danger is if you're going to do a BBC America co-production, it's going to become even more Americanized than it already has. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think therein lies another problem. I think it's become a little bit too too Americanized, mate. Like. Yeah. I mean, part of I mean part of the problem problem I have is that. Regardless of what it, what's, what Clara's arc specifically is, it was way too soapy and melodramatic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, which might be why which might be why Coleman pulled it off because she is a soap actress. I don't know, but I it's just it's not I I don't care about the companions' emotional lives enough, and that might be the classic fan in me. I don't know. Yeah, I think but, I think they need to um, they need to forget about. Um, you know, getting an Earth-based companion from the 21st century, and um, you need to grab a companion from the um, from Earth's past. Yeah, I, I mean, there's got to be a middle ground between companions who are cardboard and companions who are melodrama. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've got to figure out a middle ground because they've they've gone they've swung the pendulum too far the other way. Yeah. And the, the the other problem is, did you read that essay that I that I posted with my fan theory? I I did, but um, you're gonna have to refresh my memory because it was a few weeks back. It was. It Basically, I just basically went through and, and put through all of the, the foreshadowing that I thought the doctor knew that the impossible girl was was going wrong the whole time, and that and that, uh, and that he was basically trying to figure out how to fix her, and, he, and that, that the, the variable was he didn't know it was Missy was causing part of the problem. Yeah, I remember it now. But but the reason the fact that I was wrong is less important to me than why I was wrong. Why I was wrong is because I was basing the entire fan theory on the notion that the show's titular character had agency within his own narrative. The biggest mm-hmm. problem is the Doctor himself is not the lead character anymore. 
that that's 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 actually very true. I mean, it seems to be they they they've gone too far over to um, showing it through the eyes of the companion. Which I agree with up to a point. Like I said, you don't want companions that are cardboard. You need companions that are three dimensional. You always did. And they did better with you know they did better with some than others in the classic series, but you you need a companion who's actually as close to a person as you can get within the confines of your your limited narrative. But the problem is they they've just they've swung it over too far, and I don't and and this has been a problem since two thousand five. And when you talk to Moffat and you read interviews, he doesn't see a problem with this. He thinks the companion should be the lead character on Doctor Who mm-hmm. openly, yeah, on a, on a, unabashedly. He says this in multiple interviews. And someone should actually say to him it's not called um, Doctor Companion it's called Doctor Who and, and multiple fans have tried to say this to him in multiple forums and it doesn't matter a jot mm-hmm. and it didn't and it didn't matter to Russell T Davis either yeah and... but you know with with Russell T Davis um, I, I think you know if he hadn't have done what he did with it it wouldn't wouldn't have lasted as long as it has that's, that's the double-edged sword. Um, up to a point, every change he made was logical. It's just that the, the changes have become... When the changes become the narrative, um, you've got a problem. Yeah, the, change, the changes that Russell T. Davis made have become too locked in to a point where, um, you know, Stephen Moffat's more or less following the same template. Yeah, it's just the Moffat... He's, and that's why that's why they, um, that's why why they this finale played like the Stephen Moffat version of a Russell T. Davies finale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, just... it's kind of sad, it's disappointing. I think they need to make Dot 2 more of a sci-fi show again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for instance... I have nothing wrong with the whole notion of exploring death. I have there's nothing wrong even with making the master responsible for because she has a TARDIS and is futzing around, you know, responsible for creating notions of the afterlife across the planet. But if you're gonna have a time lord responsible for notions of the afterlife, that's your story. Explore mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Base the base the arc around the fact that a time lord is creating notions of human death. Yeah, I mean you know, and, and another thing I wanna know is um how is it that these cyber spars are able to uh, so like uh, reanimate uh, dead corpses? How did she do that? Yeah, that and that wasn't explained. Moffat, Moffat, Moffat didn't explain that, and I don't think he ever will. And and, and, and also, um, you know, once once the fresh corpses were reanimated, how, how the hell are they going to reanimate? Um, you know, a bunch of corpses that are hundreds of thousands of years old that are, that are turned into dust. I mean, explain that one. Yes, and. <laughs> And as, and as lovely as the brigadier coming back to save his daughter at the end was at the emotional level, it, it, it's weird. It's like, so now the brigadier is the Cyberman? Mm-hmm. You know? it, it doesn't make up for the fact that they didn't get him in while Courtney was still breathing. It, it doesn't, although Courtney did have a wonderful role in Sarah Jane Adventures. So oh, God, I love that episode so much. You know, we, we, we had that moment in Sarah Jane Adventures, and... Uh, I, I think, in a way, it was kind of more appropriate for it to be in Sarah Jane Adventures because um, she, Sarah Jane, the whole series was more of a nod to classic series, anyway. It, it was, um, with the exception of the episodes involving the Slovene. Oh God, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm not even going to discuss the Slovene. I can't. I'm, I can't. I can't. Um, <laughs> But I think that's about it. Um, we've got the Christmas special yet with Nick Frost as a Santa Claus. Uh, Frost, Santa Claus. Uh, ha ha ha. Yes. Um, you know, 
that that's a bit of stunt casting, if ever there is it. Any stunt casting. I, I just hope that I just hope that whatever they do, and you know, of course, that Clara is going to posthumously give birth to Danny's kid, thus continuing the timeline that leads to Orson. It's the only thing that's going to save that. It 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 is, isn't it? You know, so like, um, but um, we 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 kind we kind we kind of suspect that. And we kind of know it based on the fact that they've, that they've been together in a relationship. It's just whether or not um, Moffat brings that to realisation or not. Yes, but if she's pregnant with his kid, that means we're not seeing her next season. Mm-hmm. So that'll put the kibosh on any long-term development, continued development of any of her arcs. Yep. So. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally... I structurally don't know because when I can when I constructed that fan theory in that essay, all of that all of that stuff jived. I, I put it there because I thought it was foreshadowing. It played like foreshadowing. It read like foreshadowing, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand some of that being red herrings, but all of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I just I don't get it. And I think um, I think to be honest, Reese, we're just going to tie ourselves in knots, just continuing going on about this. I know. I, I know. think I think it's I think this is probably a good point to uh, end end the um, end, end the review on. Yeah. Um, but we will be reviewing the Christmas episode, um, but we probably won't actually uh, have that review up for you guys until so like uh, early January, because we like to have a Christmas break as well. <laughs> Um, but next week, um, for next show, uh, we, we're actually uh, going to be reviewing other TV series such as um, Atlantis, Arrow, The Flash, and stuff like that. And um, and Reese, I don't know if you're game to do that with me. I'm I'm game. I'm game. I'm watching all three of those. So. Okay. Well, you know, the good news is for you is that Atlantis is going to be on the same night as um as, as it as, as it airs here in the UK. So you awesome because the first season I had to kind of watch multiple venues <laughs> mm-hmm. but that about wraps it up for this week uh, now it's time for our interview with the uh, creator direct and director of the uh, web series superhuman uh, ben enke um so we're just going to go straight on to that now um and and Reisa, as always thanks for joining us oh you're welcome you're welcome these things don't just happen to people by accident they just like the idea that someone's actually doing something about crime, doing something to prevent it, not just locking people away and hoping they become better off because of it. It doesn't work like that. Just do what you think is right. Only what's right. Come on, Sean. No one else here but me. And that's cool. Hello and welcome to another uh, of our great interviews. Um, today I'm actually speaking to um, a web series creator um, who's just released, uh, it's a brand new web series, it's just out, uh, the second episode is probably going to be out by now, I, I should think, and we're speaking to uh, Ben Enke, who's um, the director, and um, are you the creator? 
Showrunner and creator, I had the original idea, and then since then, the two other producers I work on it with, J.D. O'Brien and Stephen Hoff, have helped me expand the idea into what it's become now. Cool. Well, you know, well, Ben, ben here, he's, he's just like, uh, give me that uh, great information. He's actually the creator of a, a fantastic new series, which... Um, as as a pretty pretty decent take on on superheroes, as in, and it's called Superhuman. So so Ben, um, first of all, um, is is this your first web series? It is, yeah, and it's really my directorial debut of anything. To be honest, um, I had done a bunch of of really bad, crappy short films that everyone kind of starts out doing, um, but this was really my first foray into. Uh, filmmaking with a giant, you know, a relatively large team of of crew and cast, um, and so really my first experience. But yeah, definitely my first web series too. Mm-hmm. So um, before you know, give me a bit of background. Did, did you actually go to film school, or have you kind of like sort of picked uh, picked cameras up and and scripting and sort of like uh, learned on the go sort of thing as as a hobby? Yeah, a little bit of both actually. I I really picked up my first camera in high school for an AP uh, history class and really loved the experience of it. Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota for their film program there and got a great background in theoretical film um just uh, the, the elements of storytelling that you need for filmmaking and that sort of foundation of how to tell stories with through images and through visuals and that's what i really got out of the u of m and then a lot of the technical experience as far as um, direction and camera operation and things like that. Well, I got a little bit of that at the U of M. A lot of that was learned uh, on my own time. Cool. Um, so, uh, are there you know are there any filmmakers or, or web series creators uh, that 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 you've got a great deal of admiration for that perhaps have sort of like uh, been some form of inspiration to you? Uh, for Superhuman, it's definitely very inspired by Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Um, a, a lot of of the elements that I like to apply to my filmmaking are very similar to what um, Nolan likes to apply as far as cross-cutting between different scenes, using two different scenes molded together to sort of say something overall, um, sort of the darker elements. Even some of the cinematography style is sort of similar to what Nolan does. And so he's a very large influence on Superhuman. Um, there's other shows that have influenced Superhuman. Uh, Misfits was a big influence on Superhuman mm-hmm. as well. Um, the show Heroes was another influence. And so it's kind of an, a, a conglomeration of different shows. But like we've always said, it's very just barely science fiction um, Superhuman is. And so we've tried to make this much less science fiction than other superhero shows that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed by, by, by watching the episode, and this was before I actually went away and read, read, read up a little bit on it. When when I watched the episode, I thought mm, this this is pretty character driven. This like it was there was more more focus on 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 getting the characters introduced and established than there was on on showing off their powers right out of the gate. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought it was also quite a brave decision. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, especially for a new web series. It's it's pretty it's pretty risky to to not show all of your cards at once. Um, and we definitely wanted to make a show that was 
very character driven, very story based. And it's something that we were kind of nervous about when we were drafting up ideas for the show is are people going to be receptive to an, a web series that isn't completely action driven and isn't pulse pounding action every minute of the show? Um, are people going to stick around for that? And so that's something that we're, we're very interested to see moving forward. Mm. Is, is this sort of like a driving theme uh, for, for the series? Because, you know, so, so far from what, what I've seen, um, we, we, see, we see a young woman being abducted, which is kind of like interspersed with, um, with, 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 with um, Jake, James Gavin accepting an award and, um, and, and, and this other guy who's like doesn't seem to be as successful as Jake, James Gavin, but also, you know, there's something that happens that makes him feel uneasy and, and then it ends with the, uh, with the part in the, uh, in, in, in the diner. Uh, where, where the woman seems to sense something in him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what, what I'm trying to get at is so so far that's also like character. That's also character sort sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that the clue is in the young woman that's abducted, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, so so what 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 is kind of like the overall theme? What 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 are they actually uh, fight fighting? You know, what what what's actually going to bring all these characters together? So one of the things that we really wanted to stress with this show is that the evil in this show wasn't something that you see in other shows. And so we wanted to make this very realistic and very something that actually exists in the real world. And so the evil isn't uh, an, an alien trying to take over the world or a megalomaniac with billions of dollars who's trying to do something um, we wanted to make this something that was uh, grounded in reality. And so human trafficking is a gigantic um, issue in the real world right now that a lot of people kind of are, are hesitant to really talk about it and they don't, they kind of sweep it under the rug a little bit. And so we wanted to bring that to the forefront of Superhuman Season 1, um, which is where we start to see shades of it with the girl getting kidnapped in Episode 1 in the beginning it happens again later in the episode. It'll happen in further episodes as well. Um, and this is sort of the driving force that is going to unite these heroes eventually. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I kind of, uh, I kind of thought, well, well, this is a kidnapping of some sort. But um, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't too clear, you know, what it was about. And you know, you say human trafficking. Is is that is that just sort of human trafficking to uh, have people working in sweatshops, or is it sort of like maybe sex trafficking or something like that? Yep. We. Uh, it is more towards sex trafficking and it's something that we're we're not showing fully in the first couple of episodes by i think episode three or four i think is it's going to become pretty clear what it is um and then further on down the season there's more instances of it where it comes back um to that and one of our characters will actually have a very um, intimate connection to it um as far as the background of her character as well um, and so it's something that we'll definitely get into as the season goes along. I should imagine that's going to be pretty challenging to convey um, in, in terms of, um, of, of of what you can show and what you can't show and what 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 you, what you can insinuate. Mm-hmm. In yeah, exactly. And, and the, the nice thing about the web is, uh, and being our own independent content creators, that we're not restricted to showing things and showing different things. But at the same time, when we talked about sex trafficking. We wanted to make sure that it towed this very fine line 
of being the evil that it is and portraying the evil that it is, but not being overly vulgar, overly explicit with that as well. And so we're making sure that we're towing that line very carefully throughout the season. Mm, yeah, because I, I, can, I can see that being quite difficult. It's kind of like a fine line between, you know, between showing too much and perhaps, uh, you know, a certain section of the audience would find that quite, um, what's the word now? I can't find the word. Tissimating uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and then mm-hmm. it's going to be there's going to be the inevitable, um, you know, majority of the mainstream that you know don't probably find it um, real disturbing. So, you know, I I I, I can't imagine the uh, I, I can actually imagine some of the conversations that you guys have actually had about that in in, in trying to uh, sort of like uh, you know kind of make it so it so it actually shows the evils of it, but doesn't um, but doesn't you know overdo it. Yeah, exactly. And and we knew when we were talking about it from the first day we started it is that we knew it was going to turn some people away from us. Um, but at the same time, that's not a major concern for us because we think it's something that people shouldn't be turning away from anymore. And people should really start recognizing this as a serious issue. And I know there's a lot of really awesome anti-sex trafficking groups out there um, that are do a fantastic job to raise awareness for this issue. And But it... it for the magnitude of this issue, it's it should be talked about more, and it should be faced more, and it's something that we're hoping to accomplish with this season of the show, that we can help make this a little more uh, less... I mean, it is still a very real evil, but we're trying to make this more that people are aware of what's going on, and people aren't so afraid to talk about this, because it is very serious, and it needs to be a, a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. And it it also needs to be stopped, but sadly, um, you know, like, like racism and, um, and and drug addiction and any number of things, it's it's something that's probably never going to go away. But you know, it is something that needs, you know, like you say, needs to be discussed, needs to be looked at, um, so 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 we can actually minimise the chances of it happening. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just it's it's one of those things that. You know, you hope it goes away at some point, but it's just, we'll do what we can right now to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the pilot actually starts with, with a media mogul, mogul James, James Gavin, and, uh, <laughs> you know, right away, when you have this guy on, I'm asking questions, is this is this guy is this guy for real, is this guy too good to be true? And then the song later on in the episode, there's a, a little bit I mentioned, you know, on the TV, he's on every single channel, and I'm thinking, hmm... Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not sure whether this guy's song, like, uh, whether that's actually some sort of bone you're throwing us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good reaction to it. Um, that's what we're hoping for. So, yeah, James Gavin is a is is very uh, quite an interesting character and and so fun to write because his his potential is is, is huge um, as a character, especially as a foil, especially to Sean's character. Um, who's who's quite the opposite of James? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you almost kind of wonder how they became friends in the beginning because they're so different. But um, it, it, it's he's he puts on a good face like most politicians do. And it, I, I can't spoil much about where the season goes, but it's he's a very fun character to watch as the season goes on. Because it's right away when I see them, uh, okay, well you know they're, they're setting this guy up to be sort of like Matt Smoother. That's the obvious reaction right away that mm-hmm. someone's going to have. 
But then mm-hmm. you're gonna then you're sort of thinking, oh, they're, they're throwing us some sort of bone here. This guy is probably the uh, probably the character that we're supposed to connect with, um, as in he's sort of like a red herring that sort of like draws our attention away for a while from the bigger picture, so that when the bigger picture is revealed, <laughs> our jaws drop to the floor, sort of thing. Yeah, and actually, uh, Taylor Scott Olson, who's another great director, was another um, additional writer for the beginning drafts of the show. And um, one of the main influences of while he was sort of creating this character. So to backtrack a little, we all sort of adopted a character on the show. And so the different producers and I all sort of took a character on as our own. Um, sort of wrote as that character became, tried to become that character as much as possible and put everything we could just into that specific character. Um, and Taylor was one of the first ones who put the first ideas into James Gavin. And Lex Luthor was actually a very big influence on James Gavin. Not necessarily that Lex Luthor was an evil uh, person, er, you know, an evil person, and that James Gavin is an evil person because that's not true. But it's more so just the the way that Lex Luthor thinks. Um, is very similar to the way James thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really see that in the beginning of episode one, for sure. It's kind of funny because I've just recently reread uh, Paul Cornell's run on Action Comics, where he mm-hmm. did that big, big, big story arc where, where Lex Luthor was kind of like the central character. Mm-hmm. So so we, we, we're reading about the various different uh, you know things that Lex Luthor was getting up to, where he was the main character. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny because at points you saw sort of like almost saw sort of like uh, you know cheer, cheering him on as he's <laughs> on these sort of, on, on on these sort of like these dif- these different stories as he's trying to meet all these different uh, adjectives in order to get all the uh, all the rings that he's after sort mm-hmm. of thing. And you know, it's almost like he became the superhero. He sort of like replaced Superman entirely in that run mm-hmm. until the very end. And at the very end of it, when Superman came round and ruined his day, I was really disappointed <laughs> because I was sort of like getting into that smoother. So Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's just pure speculation. I feel like that's kind of what they're wanting to do with Lex Luthor and Batman vs Superman too. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the direction they're trying to go is to make Lex Luthor kind of the the guy who stands up and says, "Well, look what Superman did to this city." here's what I can do to help. And I think that's kind of the direction they might want to go with that, which is very interesting to get you to, to feel for the antagonist and support the antagonist. And I, I love that when, when shows and, and movies are able to accomplish that. Um, it's a, it's a fun, it's fun to cheer for the bad guy sometimes, even though you feel bad that you're cheering for the bad guy. I kind of bought, I bought that up because I kind of figured that's where he was trying to go with this uh, James Gavin character. You know whether he's whether he's a good or a bad guy or so like somewhere in between. That that's kind of like the impression I got. Yeah, I I can't say too much about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, James is is a very interesting character, and um, it, it, it like I said, he'll be fun to watch as the season goes on. Well, I can't wait for episode two. Put it that way, because I I just want to see what happens next. Um, what, what can you tell us about, about, about your other characters? Because we, we had James and we had the other guy, what's his name now, Sean? Sean, yeah. And um, um, are, are we going to see some, is it going to be some sort of like flashback episodes or, or some, 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 something that sort of like uh, shows us how, how those two became friends? Because right at the beginning, I thought, well, you know, well, these two are friends, but they, they, they kind of look like two complete opposites. Mm-hmm. Yep, and actually episode two does have our first flashback. 
Um, and there, I believe, I, I, I think almost every episode has a flashback. Um, we try to make our flashbacks little, tell something more about the scenes that proceed and follow them. Um, very similar to the way Lost structures their flashbacks as well. And so we definitely will see flashbacks. We'll see the develop the uh, excuse me the development of their relationship, um, as well as other characters. We don't just stick to flashbacks of James and Sean. There's other flashbacks for different characters as well. Well, I, I, I've noticed you, 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 your main focus was on was on three characters in the first episode, but it was mostly James and Sean, um, mm-hmm. from what I could see. And, and the young woman at the at the close of the episode, who um, I'm guessing she has she has some sort of like latent psychic ability, um, as in she yeah. can she can read people, she can read auras. Yep, exactly. And it's it's what we we've kind of coined the term telepathy, and I don't know if that's an actual term in the superhero world, but if it's not, we're happy to uh, copyright that one. But um, telepathy is what we call it, where as she says in episode one, she can almost feel what other people are feeling. We didn't want to copy straight up telepathy where she, she could read people's thoughts or telekinesis where she could move objects with her mind and things like that. We wanted to try and come up with something different. And so in episode one, you see her interpreting and, and feeling what Sean feels immediately after he witnesses this kidnapping, after he has this strange experience in the shadows where he almost feels like he disappears in it and he's not really sure what's going on. He's very confused, and she picks up on that, and you can sort of see the aura around him, um, which our editor, Brent Duncan, who was fantastic, um, created this, this mood ring aura that the different colors portray or the different colors exemplify the different moods that they're feeling that she connects and she feels with. Um, and we're very excited to, to see where that power develops in the future as well. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool how he did that. I mean, although it's so like, it's probably quite, um, but the, 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 the scene where, where he witnesses a kidnapping and he's like, just kind of disappears around the corner and you just can't see him mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, I thought, I thought it was kind of cool how he did that, but I'm, but I'm kind of guessing it was, it was probably, probably much simpler than it looked. Yeah, it's, um, it's it, 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 rotoscoping, I think. I'm not a, a big visual effects guy, um, but it, it, I'm sure it took some time. You definitely, in episode two, will see a much more uh, complete version of what you see in episode one. Um, and it's, it's a very, very spectacular uh, effect that I was completely blown away by when he first showed it to me. Cool. Um, how did you cope with the effects? Because obviously a big advantage that uh, heroes and and, uh, and misfits have is they, they well, may, maybe not necessarily misfits, it, well, again, again, it does have a budget. They, they have the budget to do to do really, really big effects. So, um, you know, how, how, have you guys, how have you guys cope with that? Brent Duncan, uh, our editor and visual effects artist, uh, probably gripes with us that we didn't do a lot of enough green screen, but he did a fantastic job uh, just creating these amazing effects just through whatever magic and wizardry he has. Um, but a lot of it on set was shooting your locked down effect shot removing the actor, having your background template to work with, and then whatever Brent does in post to make that magic happen, 
that's what happens. And um, it, it, he's truly a fantastic and amazing, ta- amazingly talented person that has really been able to bring some of these effects to life. And they get, they get, they develop even further as the season goes on. And we start to do some really cool stuff, particularly when we introduce action sequences as well. Cool. Well, I, I kind of also like the music as well. I thought the music was uh, fairly well done, as in it wasn't too intrusive as to what was going on in the scenes. And you yeah. just had that band trying. So, uh, and did, did you, you know, is the music, is it stock or did you have somebody create that for you? Uh, our composer is Sean Adam Cody, and I could not ever in my life say enough good things about Sean Cody. Um, just a fantastic composer and really easy to work with. Um, gets the essence of what we're trying to go for with the show. When I started my first conversations with him, one of the first things I said was, I want to start developing motifs for different characters, different themes that you recognize when these characters are on screen um, that have the potential to become very big and bombastic. And I referenced Man of Steel, um, which has the very quiet score for Superman that becomes the very epic score when the action sequences start. Um, and that was something that I really wanted to play with for Superhuman, and Sean does a fantastic job really nailing the emotional tones of the characters um, and, and really doing a great job with expanding those across different scenes, um, playing with the emotion and the tone of each scene, and I just I could not gush more about how awesome of, of work he does. Yeah, he did, a pretty good, he did a pretty impressive job, because you know what, what he did is not too intrusive as to what was going on. And, you know, I don't think we've actually heard any of his bigger themes yet, but you, you, you can actually tell that he's a good musician because he's got, he's got the subtlety right yeah. in, in, yeah. in, in what he's delivering. And um, I, I can kind of hear that because I'm a musician myself. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, and uh, in episode two is when we start playing with themes, and then they, they will continue as episodes go on. But the first, I believe the first reoccurring theme will start in episode two that you'll pick up on. Uh, how, how many episodes do you have for the uh, first series? We have nine, and so we're doing episodes one through five. We'll take a break for the holidays and then come back in the new year with six through nine. Cool. Any plans to maybe release it as a, as a full-length film on, on, on DVD at some point, if the demand's there for it? We'll have DVDs. Our Kickstarter backers get DVDs for um, their certain pledge level. I think it was $50 and up. Um, but we'll also have different DVDs um, that will be much less uh, content um, as opposed to Kickstarter backers, which have tons of behind-the-scenes content and things like that. Um, but we will be selling DVDs uh, probably uh, shortly after the season closes online, um, and we'll see where it goes from there. Okay. Well, you were telling me you were telling me beforehand that you've been, been nominated as a web series of the week somewhere. Uh, do you want to sort of like a... You know, quickly tell us about that again. Yeah, I think it was Indie Series Network, uh, I believe is what it's called, that nominated us. And we had no idea. We didn't know how they found us or anything. Um, but uh, I believe that's for the week closing. I believe voting closes this week. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Okay, well, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Are you, are you actually uh, taking it around any of, the, um, any of the conventions for web series? Because it's... I believe it's quite a growing scene in the states now, and they they have a big they have the big one, the NA Webfest every year. Yeah, we our first convention experience was at the uh, Minneapolis uh, WizardCon Comic Con, um, which was really great, and that was where we showed our first footage, and we got a really good reception for it, which was awesome. 
And then uh, we're hoping to get into some other local ones around here. I know Convergence is a really big one. That would be really awesome to get into. Um, and I'm not really the festival buff. My other producer, Stephen Hoff, is a really big festival buff. And so he kind of knows where all those happen and when they happen and, and what ones we should be trying to get into. So I usually leave it up to him to, uh, to try and organize that aspect of it. Um, any, any script and story ideas for a second series yet? Yeah, I started. Uh, I kind of started writing season two without telling anyone, um, which might not have been the best idea. But uh, I, uh, I do have ideas for season two and three. Um, it will only be three seasons because that's just the way I like to tell stories. I like to tell them in three parts, and so it's season one is the beginning, season two is the middle, season three is the end. That's why there's nine episodes as well. So you have your three episodes in the beginning, three in the middle, and three in the end. Um, most episodes are roughly around nine minutes, and so I'm kind of kind of trying to go with this theme of beginning, middle, and end, and trying to tell these nice, neat stories. Um, but there are definite plans for season two and season three. Um, I guess it just depends on what happens with season one, but we have a lot of fun stuff coming up if we get there. Cool. Well, I'm kind of hoping you get there. Um, and I like what you're saying there about you know just making just three three seasons because. You find with a lot of the a lot of the more commercial television series, the uh, successful ones, uh, things like you know, citing an example, Supernatural. Mm-hmm. I watched a series five, and I thought series one to five was absolutely great, and I stuck around to around about series seven and tuned out mm-hmm. so, because I kind of think that they, you know, they got to a point and they started, you know, running out of ideas or rehashing the old ideas, sort of thing, and. I just couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard the same thing. Dexter was like that for me, too. Um, I think Dexter got old after season four. Um, maybe, yeah, season four was its last good season, and I thought it, it could have ended sooner and should have ended sooner, but, you know, that's what happens when, when you have a lot of money in a popular show on a network that didn't have a lot of popular shows at the time. Yeah, and I think I think part of that reason is they usually have the same producer sitting on the show too long or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think um, you know, Doctor Who suffered um, with, with Russell T Davis hanging around a little bit too long. But then again, had he not hung around, you wouldn't have had Doctor Who on the air because you know the BBC were thinking about uh, scrapping it after he, after he left, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and apparently um, he, he was him, in, you know, who, who who persuaded him to keep it on and uh, pass pass the torch on to Stephen Moffat, sort of thing, but. I think there's all, there's all sorts of reasons for it, and, and I think the, the great thing about a series like Doctor Who is you can do do anything and go anywhere with it. Yeah, you're not restricted because um, mm-hmm. you, you got you know you're not even restricted by having you know by having to have the same act. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas, so like, um, I think Star Trek ran too long, and I, I hate saying that because I'm I'm actually uh, I actually love Star Trek, but I think what what happened with that you you, you saw like you had a uh, you had Next Generation which was great, you had Deep Space Nine which started slow but became really good. And then you had Voyager, and they were all on Voyager, and then Enterprise, and they're all on within a very short space space of each other, and it kind of got tired. Yeah, and and I I'm I'm sort of of the feeling and the opinion that that's where superhero films are heading to, especially with the volume of superhero films that we'll have between Marvel and DC and Sony in the next 
you know, six, seven years, it's going to be ridiculous how many there are. And so I feel like that's going to burn out too. And I'm sort of worried that Star Wars might head there as well with all their spin-offs and all their films that they want to have every year. Um, so sometimes too much of something is definitely not a good thing. Well, I think it's the same if you if you look at it um, if you look at it over the years. Um, if you look at so like uh, in television between between the fifties and, and and the sixties and the seventies uh, and the early seventies, the western ruled. Yeah. And you know it was like every other TV show was a western mm-hmm. sort of thing, and and that kind of went away in the seventies a little bit, and you know. It's it's almost as if these things come come in and even in and out as trends, and then that then there's one successful one that's really successful, and that spawn, you know, um, so many imitators, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the market becomes flooded with them. Same same's happened kind of like in the British film industry. We've had we've had um, a series of endless rom coms since four weddings <laughs> and a funeral. <laughs> and they're all, all sort of like roughly based on the same template, so uh-huh. it's just a, it's just crazy the way the way the way the mainstream media works in, in that sense, where they they kind of become fixated on the one thing throughout, yeah. which is kind of why I like like why I like to check out web series a little bit because it's something a little bit different from what's on on offer. Yeah, well. that's one of the things when we were drafting Superhuman too was like. We wanted to make a show that wasn't like all the other superhero shows out there, just in case there are a select group of people that are kind of sick of seeing all the, you know, the crazy visual effects and and, and emotionless, uh, potentially emotionless stories that some of these films have. Um, and so we're hoping to, to draw some of those people into our show, too. Yeah, well, I've got to admit, um, the one superhero film that I loved this year was, uh, was Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, that was an amazing that just, film. That just rocked, <laughs> you know, because you know you you emotionally invested within the characters. You kind of like it's you, you kind of got sucked in, and um, I thought it was kind of slow to get going with the action sort of thing. It didn't really matter because you kind of got invested in all the characters. Oh yeah, and, totally. And Rocket Raccoon and Groot just rocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and uh, and Winter Soldier was a fantastic film for me too. I loved Winter Soldier. Um, I, I think that's one of Marvel's better movies. Um, right up there with probably the first Iron Man movie. I think is two of their best movies. Um, but yeah, Marvel. Occasionally they put out really good things, but then you get other ones like Iron Man three, and and I didn't think Thor: The Dark World was was all too great. Um, so occasionally you, do, you get some clunkers, but uh, every so often there's some gems in there too. And I'm I'm really hoping they do uh, Civil War and Infinity War pretty well. Yeah, I mean I I, I am I am as well. But um, when 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 you say you think it's going to go the same way, I'm inclined to sort of like a, like agree with you. But I think a way that they can vote by going the same way is by sort of like make, maybe making films out of the uh, lesser known characters. Like Marvel's done it with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It was only hardcore comic fans that would have known what Guardians of the Galaxy was, mm-hmm. and you know, and and same same Iron Man to some extent. Um, I'd heard of Iron Man before he was made into a film, but yep. you know, um, and I don't think people in the mainstream would have been as familiar with Iron Man as say they are, you know, Batman and Superman. Exactly. So, um, so so think a way a way for these films to last 
to, to last longer and last course is, is to actually do what, what Marvel have been doing with those characters, is bringing the lesser known ones to the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, um, whereas um, in terms of the DC moves, I'm not sure DC knows what they're doing. They've got a lot of catching <laughs> up to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, they'll... Uh... We'll see what happens with them, especially if uh, hopefully David Goyer doesn't do any more writing for them or any more ideas for them. But uh, that's just that's just one filmmaker's opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and I think the need for speed films are getting kind of old now. Yeah, <laughs> as, they have as, the as fast and, and oh, the Fast and Furious uh, Need for Speed. I've seen that Need for Speed. I actually thought it was quite fun. <laughs> uh, is that the one with uh... Aaron Paul? Yeah, Aaron Paul. Yeah, yeah. I have not seen that, but uh, I'll check it out at some point. I'm sure. Yeah, it's fun. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't too demanding. It was just a just a fun action movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cool. and that. Um, anyway, I'd like to thank you for your time. It's been great speaking to you. I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing episode two. Yeah, um, thank you for uh, for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Um, do, do you have a do you have a URL sort of like a link, as in a go to place where where everyone can go and uh, read read about your work and stuff? Um, well, primarily we're, we've been directing fans to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash superhuman show. Um, we do the same thing with YouTube and Twitter, which are just the same. It's slash superhuman show for both of them. Um, and we really encourage people to subscribe on YouTube because we have a lot of great content coming up on there aside from just episodes. Um, but yeah, that's really where we're trying to direct a lot of people. Okay. Well, thanks again for the, for the, uh, for the chat, Ben. Um, it's great having you on and you know obviously we, we will stay in touch um, as the series progresses yeah I really appreciate it thank you no worries thanks a lot bye next time on the new audio adventures of Star Trek the continuing mission I know who you are you're Captain Paul Edwards why am I sitting here with you you have something better to do tonight I don't know what you hope to accomplish by following the doctor around Managua all night don't you think sneaking around like that is a little undignified You know, this stuff isn't half bad once you get used to it. A little plain, isn't it? Plain? That's my mother's own recipe. That building is a brothel. I think we both know what he's doing in there. Why don't you just stay here tonight? And if you want to, you can take one of these old birds up in the air in the morning. I didn't know you two were fond of Nicaragua. Oh, yes. Fond. Very fond. I can't feel my head. I would say your Bushmills does an adequate job. I... That it does, Miss Nittlecorv. <laughs> Nothing like a night Managra. I don't know why I let you talk me into this. Don't bruise the cheese ball. Right, 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 right. Only on the new audio adventures of Star Trek. The Continuing Mission. At continuingmission.com. Okay, engine stop. Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control. 
and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website, which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com, where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page, and don't miss our short video presentation from some of our Space Opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hi, this is Tom O'Pennicott, and you're listening to the SFP Now podcast. And that about wraps uh, things up for uh, this week. Uh, Reisa and I will be back in another two weeks' time uh, with um, with our reviews on on various TV shows that are airing. It might just be, you know, a TV discussion of sorts where we uh, where we discuss um, you know several TV series. So you know, keep an eye out for that. Um, thanks as always for listening, and we'll be back at you next time. Bye bye.